There have been a lot of great hockey players over the years. Legends, both on and off the ice. The Overtime Podcast checks in with some of hockey's biggest names and talks about what these great players are up to today. Welcome to the Overtime Podcast. Here's your host, Gino Retta. Hey, hockey fans. Welcome to the 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast. I'm your host, Gino Retta. You know, I've spent over four decades working in the game of hockey, fortunate enough to meet some of the great legends of the game, saw them come into the league, watched them shine in the game, and now they've moved on to life after the game. The 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast gives us a chance to catch up, tell some great stories, relive some great memories, and hear what they're up to today. Today's legend, a six-time Stanley Cup champion as a player, four more times in management, a two-time Norris Trophy winner, voted one of the top 100 players of all time, inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame in 1995, Montreal Canadiens legend Larry Robinson. Larry, great to see you again, my friend. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I've been going through some stuff with my legs because uh, my, my legs were swelling. And uh, so I went to this vein specialist down here. Um, and uh, the, so they've been ripping old veins out and Whoa. filling up uh, other veins. And uh, finally, my, my legs are starting to feel great. But it's been a long process. It's, I'm, I'm going on almost, uh, what, six or seven weeks of once a wow. week. Yeah. No, it's fun. It's called getting old. Here are a couple of hot, tasty ways to crush the crave. Download the 7Now delivery app, and 7-Eleven will have your hot and delicious crave crushers to your door almost before you can say, fuel me up, Sev. You know the crave I'm talking about. The one that's whispering wings or pizza in your ear right now. For just eleven sixty nine, order a large, hot-from-the-oven-in-minutes pepperoni pizza. Add a two-liter Coke or Pepsi for $2. 7-Eleven is your go-to for fast delivery of Slurpee, groceries, essentials, meals, snack and treats, 24-7. It sounds painful. Are you okay? Is everything going to be all right? Yeah, no, no, no. It's It was fine. I mean, um, I figured out the other day, uh, altogether, I've had over 80-something needles put in my legs to <laughs> numb them and all that other stuff. But it's in the end, it's, it's well worth it because, uh, I mean, if I sat around for you know, 10, 15 minutes, my ankles would be the size of a football. So uh, wow. I had to get it done. It's from the years they said of, you know, because I was playing hockey and you tape your, yeah. your, your skates are tight and you you put tape around your legs and everything else. So after a while, your veins, uh, it's not so much the, the arteries, I guess they shoot the blood down, but you need the veins and in the veins, you have little, uh, I guess, doors that, that block it to send it back up and, my little doors were broken, so they got new doors. Wow. It's it's amazing what you go through. For those younger in the audience, man, I realize you spent 20 years playing in the NHL. That's a lot of wear and tear on the body. On a big body, because you're you know, 6'4", 225 during your playing days, you were a big man at a time in the league where there weren't a lot of big guys having this kind of success that you had. Uh, apart from what you're going through now, how are you overall physically? Are, are you able to enjoy life right now and just in your retirement and stuff? Yeah, no, no, it's been great. Uh, we moved uh, up here. We're, I'm in the villages now, which is just south of Ocala. And it's a uh, 55 and over retirement community. And we have the largest number of golf holes per capita in the United States. There's over 740 golf holes wow. here in, in the villages. <laughs> 
not to mention base or softball, uh, pickleball. I mean, any kind of sport, any kind of entertainment you want, it's it's right here. So we're enjoying our retirement up here. I've met a couple of really nice friends. Uh, actually, one of the gentlemen I play with Monday, Tuesdays, and Saturdays, I guess, Christy Bear is from Windsor, Ontario. So nice. uh, we've met a lot of nice people. And so I golf three, four times a week and uh, certainly enjoying it. Okay, so you're bringing up the the whole idea that you're retired in Florida and a golf community uh, by the Tierra del Sol golf course. So I think you're, what you're yeah. trying to get at is that momentous occasion that just occurred. Uh, I think you're hinting at it, Larry. So don't, let's not let's not pretend that you don't want to get me there. So I'll I'll bite. I'll ask the question for, for our audience who doesn't know this. You debuted in the NHL uh, January eighth, nineteen seventy three, and almost exactly. 50 years to the day you celebrated your 50th anniversary in a special way in your golf course community there in Florida. Why don't you tell our audience what happened on that day? Uh, we were playing, uh, there was actually two foursomes. And uh, so my brother was down, he comes down for three or four months a year. And uh, we were playing the Tierra del Sol uh, uh, country club. And we were on the sixth hole and it's a par three. So my brother Mo hits first and um, lands to the right of the green. And so I said, well, what club did you use? He says, ah, I, hit a, I hit a six iron. You should probably hit a seven. I said, nah, you know what? I'm just going to hit a six and I'll hit it a little easier. It was, I think it was 168 yards. So in a way I hit it and I'm going, oh, it looks pretty good. It's going, going towards the pin and I turn to walk away. And all of a sudden, my brother comes running across and jumps in my arm. Yeah, you got a hole in one. You got a hole in one. And there was seven of us standing there. So everybody sees this damn hole in one except me. So, anyways, yeah, and it was my first. I, that was my first, first ever hole in one. So got to celebrate, but I also had to pay the meals and the beer and everything after. But that's okay. It was well worth it. You've always been a big moment guy, Larry. You've always been a big moment guy who steps aside and let the other guys celebrate. I mean, that's that's yeah. who you've always been. It, it's always interesting to me whenever we get into playoff time and, and we talk about all kinds of runs. We've talked about certain franchises and organizations who shall remain nameless, who just cannot win in the playoffs and other organizations that have nothing but success. One of the things that stands out in my mind, and I saw your career from start to finish, and I saw the guy you share this NHL record with, Nick Lidstrom, also the same thing. Yourself and Nick Lidstrom, both of you Hockey Hall of Famers, share the record for 20 consecutive playoff runs. When you're in the midst of it, I imagine you probably didn't realize the magnitude of an accomplishment like that, but in your retirement and as you watch other guys struggle to try to even come close to numbers like that, does it, does it just boggle your mind as much as it does us as hockey fans watching it? No, I mean, as a professional, as a hockey player, when, when you're playing and you're paid to play, isn't that what it's all about? You're supposed yeah, to. Yeah, but being able to do it and what it's all about is two entirely different things, Larry. Yeah, but I mean, Nick, Nick would say the same thing. It, it, it wasn't about us. I mean, it, we were very fortunate to have played on some, uh, you know, some pretty good teams. I mean, uh, let's face it. it, it, it uh, we were very blessed. I mean, when I look at the, the team that from 76 to 79 that I played on, I mean, 
I, I look back now and I, I they won four straight Stanley Cups, by the four way, for those straight, who four don't. Straight Stanley Cup, and we should have won five. And yeah. uh, that's what's even more disappointing because we had a good enough team, I think, to win the fifth. But uh, it, it's all about, um, I mean, you, ha- you have to have a little luck. I mean, you go back and you look at uh, all of the wins and all of the, the accomplishments, but you can also pick out, you know, three or four instances where you say, well, what if? Uh, the one that comes to mind is uh, against Boston in Montreal. And Peter McNabb, who we, we missed greatly, uh, so sorry to see him pass so early. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. um, him and I were going for the puck, and the puck bounced loose, and we go flying against the boards. And I look back, and Terry O'Reilly has the puck all alone in front against Kenny Dryden, mm-hmm. and he missed the net. And we just looked at each other and he goes, oh, my God. And we went back down right out shortly after that. And, and uh, Yvonne Lambert scored the overtime goal. So, I mean, that's how close it is between winning and losing. So, um, I feel for these guys, you know. I mean, yeah. it's, not, it's not an easy cup to win. Uh, it's, it's a long grind. I mean, it's two and a half months of day-to-day uh, grinding and banging and it's hard on your body. It's hard on your mind. And, uh, so to win it all is, is unbelievable. No kidding. In conversation with the hockey hall of famer, one of the greatest Habs of all time, one of the greatest offensive defensemen in the history of the NHL, one of the top 100 players in the league, Larry Robinson. This is the overtime podcast. I'm your host, the seven 11 overtime podcast. I'm your host, Gino Retta. Uh, you you mentioned the Habs, and and you're a Hab. You're a Hab through and through. Yes, you finished your your career at the LA Kings. Yes, you did some coaching in Jersey and stuff. I get that. But you're a Hab. You're a legendary Hab. And and everybody who watches their Hab heroes playing the game says, well, he grew up, always wanted to play for the Montreal Canadiens, and now it's finally a dream realized and got to win Stanley Cups. What more could you possibly ask for? But that wasn't the case with you. You were not a fan of the Habs. You didn't even want to go to the Habs. Tell our audience that story. Well, I mean, uh, I when I growing up, I mean, my my idol was was Bobby Hull, and uh, so I was a big Chicago Blackhawk. I was a big Chicago Blackhawk fan because uh, all through my minor hockey, we wore Chicago Blackhawk jerseys. The the Russell Lions Club um, supplied us with the. Uh, socks and jerseys back then we didn't get all the whole uniform and uh, so that it was a chicago blackhawk uniform and then from when i graduated on i went to the brockville braves and the brockville braves had the same logo on their jerseys as the chicago blackhawks so it was just part of my minor hockey and junior hockey and then i of course then i went to the kitchen rangers but um the main reason why, and it's not that I didn't like the Montreal Canadiens, it's just that I enjoyed the underdog. So uh, I always cheered, used to cheer for the underdog. So that's why I, I was never a big Montreal Canadiens fan. But the funny thing is, is I, we were digging through old photos and what have you um, for a book that I was writing or whatever. And lo and behold, my mother comes up and, and shows me a picture of when I was like, I don't know, seven or eight years old, and <laughs> wearing a Montreal Canadiens jersey. I'm going, <laughs> what the heck is that? Uh, so anyway, maybe it was maybe it was karma because uh, I ended up 
uh, being drafted by Montreal, which I was really surprised because the only people that I had ever talked to during my last year as a junior were uh, LA Kings. And I can't remember the other scout that, uh, that talked to me, but I didn't know that Claude Ruel had been following me and he was a big scout for, for Montreal at the time. And, and it was Claude Ruel who fought for me uh, to get drafted by Montreal. Uh, so anyway, I get drafted by them and I'm going, okay, let's see. You got uh, Terry Harper, Jacques Perrier, uh, Serge Savard, Guy Lapointe. Guy Lapointe. Just, just keep going. The list is so long. I go, okay, where the heck am I going to play? Yeah. So uh, again, I was very fortunate and I got to go to the play in their, for their minor hockey team. And uh, Al McNeil was great, great mentor for me. And uh, we remain friends to this day. We, when I go to Calgary, I always look up Al and he looks me up and uh, we get to chat about old times. That's the ultimate irony, my friend. Uh, you didn't want to go to the Habs because they did nothing but win. And then when you got there, you were a huge part in the fact of winning Norris trophies, winning Conn Smythes, winning six Stanley Cups for the organization. You got to see the irony in all that, Lair. Well, I do. But again, um, I was really fortunate. I mean, look at, look at the players that we had. I mean, yeah. there, there's what, 14 or 18 players that were on those teams that are now in the, in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. So it wasn't just Larry Robinson out there. Believe me, uh, we had some, some great, great players. And um, I was just one of the cogs in the big wheel that ended up winning all those games. As you mentioned it, it wasn't an, an immediate transition. You were drafted in 71, 20th overall. Yeah. That was the year the, the Habs took Lafleur. It was really, really difficult to be there at his funeral. What was that like in, in seeing the loss of Guy at such an early age and so quickly? Well, it, it, was, it, it, it was tougher for me because I, I spent a lot of time with him in the last two or three years before he passed away. And actually a friend of mine, Donnie Cape, and I were, were driving uh, to see him uh, during one of his last days before he went into uh, the hospital. And we got a block away from the house and uh, his wife called and said, no, uh, don't come and see him. You better turn around because we're taking him into the hospital. So uh, he was a great friend of mine. I loved him dearly and I, I sorely miss him every day. I, I get up, I have a picture of him under my, uh, my sweater of him holding the cup, walking, walking to his uh, helicopter. So uh, I see him every day. I have a bottle of his wine that I leave on top of my wine fridge and I look at it every day. So uh, there isn't a day that goes by that I don't think about him. And, uh, it's not just me. The world lost a, a great person because he wasn't just a great hockey player. He was a great person off the ice as well. He certainly was that. And a gentleman too. What was it like the first time you walked into the, to the Habs dressing room and started looking around at Quite frankly, legends. I mean, we use the word too loosely, legends. But as you mentioned, so many of the guys that you first walked into that dressing room are now all hockey Hall of Famers, multiple Stanley Cup winners, Conn Smythe winners. Um, you know, just some. Le- what was that like walking into that room? I was scared to death. I mean, not only did I that was my when I got drafted, that was the first time I'd ever been at a at a uh, at a draft. Uh, and so I hadn't no, didn't even know what to expect. And not only that, I walk in and 
uh, Durbano and his dad are duking it out on one of the tables. And I'm going, what the heck did I just walk into? So uh, it was very eye-opening. Um, I, I had uh, Erwin Duncan was one of the Duncan twins that played back in the early days for um, Inkerman Rockets. And he actually played with Brian McFarland. And uh, so he helped me. He gave me a little heads up as to what was going 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 to happen and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, I was like a deer in the headlights. I walked in and uh, looking around, and uh, uh, actually, the one that helped me the most was Gila Point because he came up to me and uh, told me who to go to and what to look for. And in fact, the first pair of shin pads that they gave me, uh, I had a probably a space of about three or four inches because they weren't long enough. And so I just happened to look on the inside and there's number nine. I'm going, wait a minute. The last guy to wear those is Rock and Richard. So I'm going, holy crap. And so uh, Gila Point saw that and Point Two goes goes over to Eddie Palchuk and he goes, Eddie, get this kid some uh, shin pads that are going to fit. So anyway, I went with Eddie back in and got all my stuff and everything else. And then, so then we go out and and back then, I mean, there was no tra training camp. He went right into, you know, right into uh, extra, like games, inter-squad games. So inter here I am in the first inter-squad game, and I hammer uh, Claude Rose in the corner. And the next thing I know, I've got three guys <laughs> jumping all over. And I'm, like, I'm, I'm playing with these guys. What the heck's going on? So right there I knew, okay, there's they look after their own. So I, I started to feel more comfortable I uh, just just played my game, and but uh, I had a lot of a lot of help from a lot of people. Please tell me you kept the Rockets shin pads. Please tell me you've got them somewhere right now. No, Eddie, Eddie probably took them and sold them later on. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's a great yeah. story. Yeah. Listen, you you quickly alluded to the fact that the shin pads were too short. Not surprising because you were way above the league average in size. Nowadays, yeah. guys are much bigger, but in your days, they weren't. You were 6'4", no. and well yeah. over 200 pounds, and you picked up the nickname Big Bird for obvious reasons. I got to ask you, and I've used that nickname for millions of times over the years. Who, who gave it to you first? Where did that come from? Well, I'll, I'll answer the first part first. When I, when I went to my first training camp, I was 6'4", 193 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason I say that is, Gila Point says, I remember when you first walked in, he says, I looked at you and I said, I could have taken a, a ball of cotton, put it on your head, and it looked like a ship. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, but, but mainly is because, I mean, uh, my last year junior, I was, I was married and had a one-year-old uh, child. So I, I was working uh, Kitchener Beverages. I'd go to Kitchener Beverages from 7 till 4.30 leave the, the plant at 4.30 and go uh, to practice and get home around 6.30. And, and I'm making like, what, about 60 bucks a week or whatever, mm -hmm. and another 70 from Kitchener Beverages. So a big night for us was a baby, uh, some baby duck and uh, maybe some, uh, <laughs> I don't know, hamburger or whatever. So, <laughs> no, I wasn't eating properly. I didn't train properly. Um, but then... Uh, later on, I mean, uh, the second year I came back, uh, I was uh, about 6'4", 210. So that was around my, my, my playing weight. But uh, back then, my, myself, I think Bob Daly, 
uh, all Sam or not all uh, uh, the other Samuelson from uh, Philadelphia. Michelle. Yes, uh, we were some of the bigger guys, uh, but. What happened was, is we were playing against uh, Philadelphia, that famous year in 76. And, yep. you know, Philly had all these nicknames, you know, uh, Battleship, Bad, Big Bad Kelly, and <laughs> yeah. so on and so forth. And uh, at that time, I had a, a bit of an Afro going, and uh, Celeste, it was the same thing. And mm-hmm. so they were doing an interview after one of our games, and uh, so the press were all talking to, to Serge Savard and saying, oh, yeah. Well, what about Battle or uh, Big Bird and so on and so forth? He said, Big Bird? He said, we got our own Big Bird. He said, look at right over there, Larry Robinson. And I think that was right after the game where I hit Gary Dornhoff or whatever. It was. <laughs> and so Sir, Serge gave me that nickname. And the next next day, there everybody was talking about Big Bird hitting Gary Dornhofer into the, to the boards. And so it kind of stuck with me. Here are a couple of hot, tasty ways to crush the crave. Download the 7Now delivery app and 7-Eleven will have your hot and delicious Crave Crushers to your door almost before you can say, fuel me up, Sev. You know the Crave I'm talking about. The one that's whispering wings or pizza in your ear right now. For just $11.69, order a large hot from the oven in minutes pepperoni pizza. Add a two liter Coke or Pepsi for $2. 7-Eleven is your go-to for fast delivery of Slurpee, groceries, essentials, meals, snack and treats, 24-7. We're in conversation with Hockey Hall of Famer, six-time Stanley Cup champion with Montreal Canadiens, Larry Robinson. This is the 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast. I'm your host, Gino Retta. Uh, you mentioned 76, and I get to 76 in a second, and you mentioned your physical play. 73 was your first Stanley Cup, but you, you joined the team midway through that year. It wasn't one of your big, like, you won a Stanley Cup, which was awesome. You won a cup in your rookie year, but I think you would admit that you didn't contribute an awful lot in that Stanley Cup run. You were part of the team. Your name's on the cup. In that offseason, though, the Flyers then started to develop the name of the Broad Street Bullets. You guys had won the cup. They they said, we cannot compete with the Montreal Canadiens on a skill level, speed level, talent level. So they built up this whole Broad Street Bully persona. And it was effective. They ended up yep. winning back-to-back Stanley Cups in 74-75. And then Scotty Bowman, who was running the Habs at that point, said, we got to figure this out. And they did. Talk to me about the transition from the end of the 74-75 run for the Flyers into 76, where you are a brand-new Montreal Canadiens roster and lineup. Well, we, we certainly had uh, some size. Uh, but my actually, my first Stanley Cup, um, I came up and I, uh, because, uh, I think it was, uh, Jacques Perrier got hurt. So yeah. I came up January the 8th. And of course, Al, Al told me, he said, listen, Larry, he said, don't be nervous. He said to get out of the nerves. He said, first guy that comes down the board, just hammer him as hard as you can. So <laughs> of course, who's the first, first poor guy that comes up was poor Bobby Nevin. He's not, he's not a big guy. No, he's not a no. guy. And I hammered him. the big shoulders. Yeah, big shoulders, but the shoulders didn't help him because he was, I hammered him pretty good and he was laying on the ice. And so that kind of got me into it. And then playoffs started and we played Buffalo first series. And so I wasn't part of the starting lineup. Uh, I, uh, myself and a bunch of other guys, they call us the Black Aces or whatever. 
Yep. We were with Floyd Curry and he skated the crap out of us every day. We were up and back and over and over. And I'm going, holy mackerel. I said, I'd rather play than, than have to, <laughs> to do this. And then I, I realized after we had beaten Buffalo, we played Philly and there were, we had some injuries. So I came in the first game against Philly. And uh, I, sorry, I, I don't know if I dressed the first game. I didn't play that much first game. And then we had some more injuries, so I, I played in the second game. And, of course, I tried to play as physical as I, I could. But we, were, uh, we had lost the first game. We were down and went into overtime. And I'm coming around the net with the puck, and I look up, and there's Frank Mahovlich. Okay, so is it Larry Robinson going to carry the puck, or are you going to give it to probably the, one of the all-time great left-wingers? So I was going yeah. to give it to him, and he goes, no, 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 go, go, go. So I took off with it, got over the blue line, took a sh- shot, Scored top corner on Doug Favell and got my first Stanley Cup uh, goal. And then, I don't know, it just, it felt so good. And I felt just part of the team. And so then I played the rest of the, uh, the, yeah. the, rest of the series. And, uh, and then we went on and, and uh, beat Chicago. But, but this here, this, this transition, it, it kind of started a little more in the, the uh, kind of the, I guess it was an exhibition game. We had an exhibition yeah. game in Philadelphia. And so they had their starting lineup. I, I don't know exactly uh, who was on, on our team, but I know it was Glenn Goldup was on left wing and Rick Scherzer was there as well. But the, 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 uh, the average weight of uh, the five guys that were on the ice, I think Doug Reisbrow was our smallest guy and he was about maybe 5'11", 200 pounds. And they didn't even get the puck dropped. And, and the next thing you know, all hell broke loose. And, uh, and even uh, Moose DuPont came over to Scotty. He goes, Scotty, Scotty, they got to stop. You got to stop. Somebody's going to get hurt. And they actually called the game, I think, with five minutes left. And, and yeah. right then there, uh, I don't know, just something came over our team. We, we felt that we could play any style that they, they wanted to play. And, and uh, we ended up dethroning uh, Philadelphia that year in 76 and four games. And it was the beginning of the run. I mean, you guys ended up winning the cup in 76, the first of your four consecutive cups. And I remember Dryden quote, um, it was either during the series or after the series where he said they had to bring hammers and crowbars to fix the dents in the boards that you were causing by running guys through the boards. And, and, and from that moment, really from that moment on, you were emblazoned as stay away from Big Bird because he will punish you. Well, I, I like to. I, I was always, I was always a physical guy, and uh, as you said, I was always one of the bigger ones. So even coming up in Brockville and everything else, I, I stuck up for my uh, teammates, and uh, they still talk about in Brockville uh, for the Bro- Brockville Braves uh, about a game between ourselves and the Hull. Hull Olympics, I think it was at the time, myself and John Coburn. And John Coburn was probably bigger, was bigger than I was. And uh, we got into a scrap and it started in front of the net of, of their, of our, I think it was our, our net. And it ended up just past center ice, the two of us. And it went on for like five minutes. And uh, that's the kind of thing that kind of happened. I mean, I, f- I didn't go looking for it, but I felt it was my, my place to stick up for, for my, the, my fellow teammates. And, and the same thing happened when I got to Montreal. And you kept providing offense though, too, in fairness to you, you weren't just a big physical guy. I mean, 
so you you win your second cup, your first of four straight in 76. Uh, 77, then you win the Norris. You had 19 goals, 66 assists. Uh, so you proved offensively you were a freaking machine. It wasn't rare to watch you carry the puck. You win your third cup. 78 got even better. Your career just kept launching. 21 points in the playoffs alone, Larry, and you won your fourth cup and you won the Conn Smythe. Yeah. What was that run like in 78 for you? Uh, kind of surreal. I mean, uh, it was one of those ones. I mean, I don't think it was any different than um, any one of the other years. Um, I was just happened. It just so happened I was pl- I was playing with uh, uh, Shuddy and and I think Shuddy scored sixty goals what, what, that one year. And of course, I had Lafleur on the right side. And yeah. and I played my. I wouldn't be the player that I was had I not had Serge as my my uh, partner. Uh, yeah. He allowed me. He allowed me to make mistakes there and, and do what I wanted to do, and he was there to cover up for me. And uh, probably Amazing. one of the most underrated great defensemen of all time. I mean, you if you look back, the only games that Canada ever lost in a in a championship international tournament was when Guy wasn't on or, or when uh, Serge wasn't on the Serge. blue line. Yeah. Every every time he was on the ice, uh, the team won. So. Yeah. He was a great mentor for me and it allowed me to uh, play the way that I, I wanted to play. And, and so I think that really, really helped me. I think, but most of all, I mean, uh, Coder Wells spent hours and hours with me on the ice and skating and uh, retrieving the puck and all that kind of stuff. So I, if there was one thing that I could do, I could always skate. I mean, I learned to skate when I was four years old and I grew up skating on ponds and in rinks and I always played against guys that were older than me. So I had to learn how to uh, get around them and, and skate past them. So uh, that's the one thing that I did have going for me was that, that I was a good skater. Yeah. And good hands and good speed, good size. <laughs> I, I want to ask you about 79 because we use the term, don't give, don't give your opponents bulletin board material. Don't give them bulletin board material. And there was probably one of the best examples I've ever seen of that was in your 79 cup run. Now you're looking for a four peat. You got the Rangers in game one, and I, I still remember this distinctly. There's a picture of the Rangers celebrating, and I think the headline read, End of the Dynasty. Uh, and they're, they're smoking cigars, celebrating their game one win. Tell our audience what you guys did with the picture, what that did to you internally in your room, and how that story ended up. Well, we were, we were mad that we lost the first, uh, first of all, but then – for them to rub it in like that. I mean, we took that, that picture stayed with us for the, for the rest of the playoff series. And we, that was our, the only motivation that we needed. And, uh, but I, I think, I think that, uh, what really got us going was that, um, it's sad to say, but Bunny LaRock was supposed to go into the, in the nets. On the, I think the, the second game, because Ke- uh, Kenny had lost the first game. And uh, lo and behold, Dougie Risebrow hits Bunny in the in the warm up and knocks him out. And Kenny has to go back in the net. And Kenny basically he stood on his head. I mean, that's yeah. he didn't need that extra motivation. But I think uh, during that run too, I think Bob Gainey stood on his head. He played probably the best hockey of his of his career during that. And but but I, everybody just just picked it up a notch. I mean, we. We didn't need motivation, but that certainly lit a fire under us. And uh, 
And uh, so we ended up, uh, I think we won the next four straight and, uh, and that was it. Yeah. So you win your four straight cup. Now it's five. Uh, then, you know, the rest of the league starts to catch up a little, but you do win another Stanley cup with the Habs in 86. And then at the end of the 88, 89 season, you retire. Supposedly <laughs> your, I, I guess I would call that your first retirement, but well, you know, it wasn't even a retirement. Uh, it was the end of my contract. Yeah. And, and Serge was, Serge was the general manager at the time. And uh, so they offered me a one-year contract. And what I had said was, well, uh, what happens if I want to play more? Well, we are we're only willing to offer you a one-year contract. So I left the office and I went over. And at that time, I owned a place or co-owned a place with Donnie Capa called Dingies. And uh, so I went into my office over at the, the garage and sat down and we were talking away. And he goes, well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I don't know. I, I, maybe I want to play more. So I said, well, let's shop around. So the first one we called was uh, Los Angeles. Yeah. And, and uh, so we're talking away and they said, you know, they were, they're making a, a pretty good pitch and everything. So they said, well, why don't you fly out and we'll show you around. And uh, so we fl- flew out and Bruce, McNall sent a nice limo for us and everything else. And uh, we toured around LA and all this kind of stuff. Cause I mean, we went to LA, but as a hockey player, you go from the, the hotel to the rink and you don't get to see a lot of the places. So we looked around and found it very interesting. Went back to uh, his office and he, he said, well, I'll offer you a three year contract. And if you don't want to play the third year, you decide you've had enough. We'll still pay you half. So I said, oh, okay. So we were there and we called Serge um, at the office and they said, okay, this is the offer. This is, it's three years. And if we don't, if I don't play, they're going to pay me half for the third year. He said, will you match it? And he goes, no, we we can't match it. So I said, well, okay, then I'm going to make the move. And that's how I ended up in L.A. It's crazy. And, and there you got to get a chance to play with Wayne Gretzky, which then brings up an interesting story because you're a freaking legend at this point. You've already won six Stanley Cups. You're being brought in there for the leadership. And yet it was, I don't know, how would you describe that opportunity to play with Wayne Gretzky and what that transition was like for you mentally? It was a little tough mentally because I, I was used to, I was used to the way things ran in Montreal. It was very structured and so on and so forth. And now all of a sudden you're in LA and there's movie stars in the dressing room and (laughs) all this stuff's going on. You're on a private plane. And um, the first, first few, I'd say the first month was really, really tough for me because uh, I guess the best way of putting it is uh, Rogie and Rick Wilson called me into the office um, about a month in and they said, okay, sit down. He says, listen, <laughs> we called you in here not to play like Wayne Gretzky and the way that Wayne Gretzky plays. We brought you in here to play the way that you know how to play. So yeah. forget about all this stuff that's going on. Just play your game. And I think that, that, that saved, that saved my career right there because, yeah. uh, I, you know, I tried to change my, the way I played 
to the way that they they were playing this, you know, run and gun kind of stuff. And and that's not how I played. Uh, you know, I went back to my old style, and uh, I've had I ended up mentoring a couple of the young kids and played with them. Robbie Blake was one of them, and um, so it it made it made a much easier transition when I just finally exhaled and said, okay, I'm here because of the way I play, not to place the way somebody else wants me to play. We're in conversation with Hockey Hall of Famer, uh, one of the greatest Montreal Canadiens of all time, one of the top 100 NHL players of all time, Larry Robinson. This is the 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast. I'm your host, Gino Retta. Uh, and I keep mentioning, Larry, that you won six Stanley Cups as a player with the Montreal Canadiens because your post-playing days were also very successful. For for those that don't recall, uh, you retired at the end of the 92 season, the 91-92 season. You were you got a call from Lou Lamorello, went on to be an assistant with the New Jersey Devils, in, almost instant success. You guys won a cup with the Devils as an assistant coach. After the cup win as an assistant, you got hired as a head coach for the LA Kings, then came back. And, and the 2000 story to me was crazy and really unprecedented because – you, you go over, take over um, the New Jersey Devils on an interim basis. You had the interim label in, the, in 2000. There obviously was some turmoil there, some, some things going on. And you end up leading this team to the Stanley Cup. You were the first interim head coach in NHL history who led the team to the Stanley Cup. What was that like for you, Larry? Well, it was, uh, it was bittersweet. Um, Robbie Fatorik, uh, I was assistant with Robbie and <clears throat> Robbie, uh, during the lockout, well, I, I went, uh, myself and Jacques Caron, we went down, uh, to Albany, um, during the lockout to, to work with the guys down there. And Robbie kind of gave me my first chance at running, how to run a practice and so on and so forth. So, now all of a sudden, I'm I'm being asked to take uh, the job of a very dear friend of mine, mm-hmm. and uh, and that's not very easy. But at the same time, um, I thought that our team was much better than it was playing. And, and in in Robbie's defense, I, I I think he 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 did a great job. But the problem was is that uh, he. It's in my estimate, you got to treat everybody equal because, mm-hmm. because if you just rely on the superstars, what happens when, when you need the muckers and the diggers and the fighters yeah. and whatever? So uh, that's where we got a little disjointed and, and they were saying, oh, we don't have leaders and so on and so forth. And so when I, the first thing I did when I took over is I brought everybody in and I said, okay, enough of this crap going on. We're much better then you, then we're showing, and you say we haven't got a leader. And I pointed right at Scotty, and I said, "We've got the greatest leader in the history of hockey right here. Hmm. You don't have to be somebody that stands up rah 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 and whatever, but who comes here every every practice and holds everybody accountable? Who goes out every game and and uh, and puts his body on the line and and works harder than everybody else?" I said, "We've got our leader." You just got to follow what he does. And so then we went on, then we went on a bit of a roll. And of course, I mean, anytime you've got Marty Brodeur in your net, you've always got a chance, you've got a chance to win. And then, uh, and then you've got the, 
one of the most clutch playoff guys in uh, in uh, Cold Lemieux. And, and we had a lot of great talent here. Uh, Patrick Eliash and uh, Jason Arnott and uh, Scotty Gomez. Well, in fact, Scotty Gomez, I almost took him out of the lineup when we played against Toronto. Um, uh, Scotty wa- wasn't playing the way that he should have played and so on and so forth. And uh, so I sat down with him after the morning skate and I said, Scotty, I'm going to take you out. Oh, Larry, you can't do that to me. And I said, well, why can't I do that? I said, what have you done? Oh, yeah, he's got all the excuses. I said, no, 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 enough of the excuses. You, this, you've got one chance here. I said, okay, if you, if you can prove me wrong, then you're going to do it tonight. Otherwise, you're not going to see the ice again. Well, yeah. I think he goes out that he goes out that night, and I think because he was playing with uh, McGillney, so now you've mm-hmm. got Patrick Eliash and Arnott line, and now I've got McGillney and and Gomez, and I can't even remember who was playing on the right side at the time, but it gave us two great lines. That and then I had Bobby Holly checking uh, Matt Sundin, so I said it's a no brainer. Anyway, he, he went on and did a did a great job, but in, in all of that. Playoff series, you know, you know what stands out the, the most for me? We, uh, the last game against Toronto was in New Jersey. And uh, I think we're like three quarters through the game. And I just kind of glanced up quick at the clock because I never liked looking at the clock. Mm-hmm. I just glanced up quick and I saw the shots 29. And I thought it was 29 to 16 or 20 something to 16. And then we get later in and I'm looking up and I'm like, Holy shit, it's not 20 to 6. It was 26 shots. We held the Toronto Maple Leafs to six shots in the <laughs> third period. And, you know, I'm a defense first kind of guy, but yeah. that, the, the job that Bobby Holyick did that night on Matt Sundin was absolutely incredible. I mean, to this yeah. day, Sundin hates Bobby Holyick, but uh, <laughs> I mean, it was, uh, it, was, it was how you did it. And, yeah. and the only thing we had set up before, I said, I don't care. The, 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 only, the only match we're going to do tonight is every time Sundin comes on, Bobby, Bobby comes on. I think Bobby played with every, everybody that night because every time Sundin would jump on the ice, it, even if somebody else was there, the center would be come running and there would go Bobby. So uh, it, it worked out great. And, and, uh, and then, of course, uh, we had that great series against uh, Dallas where – I didn't know if the overtime was ever going to end. Uh, And then uh, we get that big goal by Jason uh, to win it. And it's, uh, I I thought, you know, winning the cup as a player was great, but it doesn't hold a candle to to winning it. Having put in hours and hours and hours in front of the video and everything else. And when you win it as a player, you're, you're only responsible for yourself. So the only guy you got to get ready ready is yourself. Now all of a sudden you're you're uh, in charge of twenty three guys. I mean, it was incredible the, the 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 amount of pressure. But when we won that, I think the the most satisfying thing for me was just the, the pressure of not having to you know lose another night's sleep and look at yeah. nine hundred hours of, of video and what have you. So uh, euphoria was just incredible. Incredible. So you win the cup on that incredible run in 2000. Um, and then you went again as an assistant with the Devils in 03. And amongst the highs, there are also uh, 
I, I remember this very clearly. Um, 05, Pat Burns, one of the greatest coaches of all time. Uh, you were working with Pat and Burnsy was going through the cancer battle that he had. So he had to step away from the bench and you moved over and took over behind the bench. Uh, but then in December of that year, you, you stepped down, which was kind of a, a real shocker for all of us because this was nothing new to you to be behind the bench there. This is something you easily stepped in. And I remember publicly you said that it was a combination of stress and other health problems to the extent that you're willing to share. Can you tell us what you were going through there at that time that, that led you to stepping away? Well, you know, it, it was, a, it was funny because um, right after I stepped down, the first call I got was from Joel Quenville hmm. and uh, he goes, Larry, he goes, I know exactly what you're going through. I said that he said the same thing happened to me. It's just, I don't know. It's hard. It, uh, it's hard to explain. Uh, at the time, um, I think our daughter was uh, was giving birth to twin boys, and mm. so I wanted. I, you know, I missed being with my family. I was all, kind of alone at the time because my wife had gone out there, and um, we weren't winning. And I, it was bugging the hell out of me that I, I couldn't figure out uh, why the team. It was the same team that had won, uh, wasn't performing, and I think it just. The whole, I, I guess it was when I look back on it, I was, I was kind of almost having a nervous breakdown mm-hmm. because I, I, I woke up and I couldn't stop crying. And then I went to see Lou and I was talking to Lou and then I broke out crying again. I'm going, this is, this is not right. And uh, so the, I, I figured I better step away before I made myself even sicker. And uh, Lou was, I have so much respect for this man. He, he is the best friend I've ever had. He sat me down and talked to me, and then uh, took, we went downstairs, and I ended up trying to speak to the players and everything, and I, I hope they understood. But then he kind of took over and so on and so forth. But what we, Lou and I still talk to this day. And, but I, I, I was just at the point where I, I had to get away or I was going to make myself even sicker, and I didn't want to end up having – uh, stress attack and giving myself a heart attack or whatever. So I just, I stepped away from the game before I got too sick. Man, I appreciate your honesty. I mean, it's, it's, it's a different era today where there's a, there's a players are much more readily willing to talk about the struggles with stress and, and mental health. But in the day where you were dealing with this, I mean, there were just as many people dealing with it, but we just dealt with it much more quietly. What was that like for you to go out and seek help at a time like that? in a mental health struggle when it, when it wasn't the norm at that point? Well, it, it was a lot easier because I have, I have great friends away from the game. So, you know, first of all, I was able to go and, and be with my, my wife and my kids and everything else. And it was just, it was like a detox. And, uh, and it was funny cause I'm sitting there, I'm sitting there and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, me, I can't, I can't get rid of the game. And I'm thinking, I said, well, what could I have done differently? You know, how could I, and then all of a sudden I'm looking and I start looking back and I'm going, okay, it's 2005. We're in, uh, we're going into the, we're going to go into the playoffs, 2004 playoffs, 2003 playoffs. And I'm going, these guys have just played over. I, I want to say it was like 200 and something games. Yeah. Yeah. I says, no, there's no, there's a reason why 
you know, what I should have done was said, okay, guys, I don't want to see you at the rink for the next three days. Go, go do whatever you want. And, and probably that, that probably would have solved the problem and I might have probably been fine. But I, it was just bugging me because I hate losing. And, uh, and, and I couldn't find a reason and I couldn't find a way to, to turn this team around. So that's what I went through. Amazing. I'm so glad to hear that you're on the other side of this and, and you yeah. did exactly what you needed to do to take care of yourself. Because uh, sometimes as fans, we, we really, as broadcasters, we really enjoy what you're doing, but then we forget the toll it takes on you. And I mean, I, I can't tell you how much I've appreciated having this conversation with you, my friend. When I look at the numbers, so like I keep talking about the fact you're a top 100 player of all time, six Stanley Cups as a player, uh, 10 overall and one of the numbers that really stands out to me, Lair, it just, it blows me away. You're a career plus minus plus 730. <laughs> only, only three other people, only three people in NHL history had a plus 100 season in the plus minus category. And that was uh, Wayne Gretzky, Bobby Orr, and yourself. When I think of those numbers and those facts like that, it just blows me away what you were able to accomplish and do in your career. It must give you a, a tremendous sense of accomplishment and satisfaction that you were able to be a part of something like that. Well, yeah, especially for me, uh, it's not so much uh, in today's hockey, but back then, I mean, plus minus, that was, that's what it all, I mean, we used to have guys, yeah. they, they, they just about go through the boards to get off the ice so they wouldn't get scored. Yeah. Gone, get a <laughs> <Exactly>. minus. <laughs> so, you know, to finish my, I, I was actually, I actually uh, shocked myself that I was, I was that high because I'm not a guy that I don't look at my stats. I, I mean, somebody says, well, how many goals you have? I, I have no idea or points or whatever. So, but that, that one really, really shocked me and it helped that one year, I think uh, uh, Lafleur, Shuddy and Pete Mahovlich finished one, two, three in the scoring, scoring race or, one, two, three, one, one, two, and four, or whatever, and yeah. and and I that was I, I had my highest uh, point point total that year. That's that's the year I finished. I think 120 or something like that, plus 120. So that gives you a little bit of a boost, but still, that's 600 more points above <laughs> that. So <laughs> some incredible numbers. Listen, we're almost yeah. out of time. Before okay. I let you go, do you mind playing five fast facts with me? Five fast. Say that for five fast facts. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't want to say it. I don't want to say it too fast myself because it might slur and then be problem. I'll just throw out a quick question for you. You give me the quick, the first quick thing that comes to your mind. Fair. Okay. Fair. All right. Five fast facts. Number one, who was the best player you ever played with? Gila Fleur. Wow. That was fast. Who was the best player that you ever coached? Wayne Gretzky. Who did you hate playing against the most? Gilbert Perot. If you could go back and relive one moment, what would it be? Oh, well, what we talked about, I wouldn't have walked away from the, from the game when, uh, in Jersey when I was coaching. Fair enough. All right. And the last one, with this will wrap up. You played for some amazing teams. You won four consecutive Stanley Cups. Um, you won with the Devils, with Marty Brodeur and company. And you were also on Team Canada in 1976 which some yes. consider the greatest compilation international hockey ever. What was the single greatest team you ever played on? 76, 77 Canadians. Wow. 
That was a legendary team. Larry, this has been such a joy. It's, it's so Thank good. You. Best of luck with your legs and your recovery with your legs. I hope that Thank that you. turns around well for you. Thank you so much for taking this time and sharing these amazing stories. Uh, Thank it's you. been such a joy chatting with you, Larry. Yeah, it's, it's always fun talking to you, Gino. One of the greatest Montreal Canadiens of all time. Ten Stanley Cups to his career. Six as a player. Four others in management. A Hockey Hall of Famer, Larry Robinson. The Overtime Podcast is proudly presented by 7-Eleven. Before leaving the rink, order your favorite Slurpee, fresh 100% premium Arabica coffee, hot from the oven pizza and wings, pint of ice cream, or even a carton of milk, a dozen eggs, and a loaf of bread from the 7Now app and Team 7-Eleven. We'll have your order ready for pickup 24-7. Hey, if you missed any parts of the show, don't worry. Visit our website at overtimepodcast.ca where you can both listen and subscribe to future shows. 7-Eleven's Overtime Podcast can be found on the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any of your favorite podcast platforms. Until next week, I'm Gino Retta saying so long, hockey fans, and thanks for joining us on the 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast. Here are a couple of hot, tasty ways to crush the crave. Download the 7Now delivery app, and 7-Eleven will have your hot and delicious crave crushers to your door almost before you can say... Fuel me up, Sev. You know the crave I'm talking about. The one that's whispering wings or pizza in your ear right now. For just $11.69, order a large hot-from-the-oven-in-minutes pepperoni pizza. Add a 2-liter Coke or Pepsi for $2. 7-Eleven is your go-to for fast delivery of Slurpee, groceries, essentials, meals, snack and treats 24-7.